when Bonnie was like telling me that she had this idea for a women's golf apparel company, I had always thought that it's kind of like the last untapped market. I've been surrounded by women golfers and there's always the comment of like, I have nothing to wear. Hi, welcome back to Office Chats, a podcast presented by Madam Blue. I'm your host, Valeria, and today's guests are Bonnie Riddle and Michelle Anderson. Bonnie and Michelle are trailblazing a movement to ensure that women are never an afterthought in the game of golf. Their brand, Sierra Madre Golf, is setting a new standard for women's golf apparel. In today's episode, we dive into their journey, the challenges they faced, their unique design philosophy, and the impact they're making in the world of golf and fashion. Let's get into the show. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'd love to get started with just a little bit about your career backgrounds, and maybe you could share how the two of you met. Sure. I actually love the story of how we met, but in terms of background, I'll kick us off. Uh, my background's actually in finance, uh, so that's what I studied in school. I did investment banking, buy side, and then pivoted slightly and ran retail finance for a D2C company, but not a lot of background in fashion, which is where Michelle comes in. So Michelle. (laughs) Yeah. So my background is apparel design. Um, I have about 10 years experience now. It's like flown by, but um, I worked a little bit in Hoka Tour, Bridal, and then my longest stint was with uh, Women's Ready to Wear. Yeah, Michelle's a killer in the fashion industry. And um, how does this tie to golf? So in finance, golf is kind of the only escape to not just be chained to your desk. And I I didn't know how to play. I didn't have any like girlfriends that knew. Maybe worse of all, I had nothing to wear. Um, and I kind of had this idea in the back of my mind, just looking for something that made me feel confident on the course and I could never find it. And so I had this idea about starting what would be Sierra Madre, had a lot of questions, especially in fashion. And I met Michelle in a yoga class. I added her on Facebook, which I feel like nobody does anymore. (laughs) So this is to show that this is several years back. And I remember seeing she worked at Marquesia and I thought that was so cool. (laughs) And so I thought this girl must know fashion. And I Facebook messaged her and asked her if I could ask her some questions and, about starting an apparel company. And and I didn't know anything. I was like, I bought a sewing book. And she was like, you don't need that. <laughs> um, so that's how we met. And we just, we kind of clicked instantly. I was so excited um, when Bonnie was like telling me that she had this idea for a golf, a women's golf apparel company. I had always thought that it's kind of like the last untapped market in terms of clothing and I've been surrounded by women golfers like my my mom my cousins like I just have a lot of women golfers in my life and there's always the comment of like I have nothing to wear (laughs) and so I always thought it was like that would be the fashion company to start and I think most people who aren't in the golf world or, or who have never played wouldn't know that there is such a gap when it comes to you know the apparel available for men versus women So maybe you could dig into a little bit of that, like the issues you were seeing in the industry, and then what made you decide to really take this business off the ground? Yeah, it was 
it was super just organic and natural. I really wanted a mock neck, which is kind of like a shirtle, shorter <laughs> turtleneck. I tried to combine those words. Uh, and I just couldn't find one for women because I didn't really want a polo because in golf, it's very much shrink it and pink it. So they just take a men's shirt, they shrink it down, they make it pink, they call it a women's shirt. You know, in like golf apparel, like you walk into a shop, uh, even a, a pro shop, and there's like so many options for men. And there's like a little teeny section for women. And it's all super patterned, bright pink. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people who who like that. And then that's their aesthetic, which is awesome. But when that's not your aesthetic, you just don't feel like yourself and you don't feel confident. You feel like you're wearing a costume. We really wanted to create something for people, you know, who had a little bit different aesthetic that would give them the confidence and the ease and not have your clothing be a reason you're not going to golf. That kind of came across to me immediately when I was on your website, kind of looking through the pieces. It is very aesthetically pleasing. And I think it's stuff that you could wear on the course, obviously to golf, but I I could also see people wearing it to like brunch or grabbing a coffee or just like running your errands. Like it really is kind of everyday wear. And I think that is kind of rare in the golf industry. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to learn more about what sets the designs apart, not just aesthetically, but also in terms of design and function. No, it's kind of nothing that you don't need, everything that you do. And a lot of our customer feedback will say, hey, you can really tell like a woman actually designed this because of how big the pocket is and, and where it is. And there's no like tea holders, which that's just a detail that no one actually uses. Mm. Um, so let's not do that. Let's add a pocket specifically for your glove that's actually really functional. And so it's kind of really wear testing and seeking feedback from our customers that play golf and also don't. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, how can we hide and kind of keep it like an inside secret that uh, we have all this great functionality, but the clothes just look kind of seamless. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to understand a little bit more of the journey you went through to actually take these designs, like brainstorming all these functionality aspects, getting them from paper to being manufactured, like tested, and then being ready to sell. Bonnie and I, we spend a lot of time, we talk about kind of the products and the vision we want for whatever season we're designing for, and then really make sure like the fabric makes sense. We test it and test it and get samples and samples. And we are both like so on board with taking the time that it needs to make the best product possible. Once we we get a product that we're super confident in and it's like everything that we want, then we go into the manufacturing and, you know, we work with our factories that way. Michelle is meticulous. Like she mentioned the fabric. She also looks at the thread and the stitches per inch. Every detail is combed through because it just all goes back to our, our motto, which is women should never be an afterthought. So we don't want you to get on the course and be like, oh, like this fabric doesn't kind of fit the design, doesn't breathe how I want it for this use. So it's kind of like a puzzle <laughs> that you're putting together as you're creating the puzzle. It all it's my fit. favorite puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. It's, like a and it's, it's things that the consumer probably doesn't even think about right but that's kind of the point is you want them to just put it on and feel like great but they don't realize 
all the the work and thought that goes into it, which is why I love having these conversations. And yeah. I think that type of thought is what really sets small businesses apart, especially in fashion, apart from like fast fashion brands where mm-hmm. everything is mass produced. It's all about like, how can we make this as cheap as possible, but still inevitably fall apart? Yeah, it will last for this season for what, exactly. in which this is trendy. We're kind of totally against that. <laughs> More slow fashion, definitely small business and making sure that our clothes have longevity, not just in terms of like how long it'll last, but also in terms of, of use cases. We want, we want our customers to get the most bang for their buck. Yeah. And I had a quick follow-up on the manufacturing I'm just curious, like how and where you found a manufacturing partner that fit your needs. And if you have advice for other small businesses who are kind of at that point when they're looking for a partner, but not ready to produce, you know, huge amounts of product either. What was that process like for you? That is probably the hardest part because they are your biggest partner. They're creating the product for you. I think the advice I would give is to do your diligence, do your homework and be critical. This is someone that you are going to work with. You need to trust each other. And so spend time, interview many as many factories as you can find. We spent months finding the right factory partners. And it's an ongoing relationship, which Michelle <laughs> manages so beautifully. But I think that is one of the biggest challenges starting businesses you kind of have to trust and in order to trust you just need to do your homework when we were starting out it took the longest amount of time was finding that those factories and we went through a couple some bad, <laughs> bad eggs that <laughs> didn't make the cut but we eventually found the the right people is there any like major red flags that people should be aware of when they're having these conversations like things a first time entrepreneur might not no is a red flag. I think um, a factories a lot of time will tell you what you want to hear to get your business. Part of doing your due diligence is like, you know, asking for certain fabrics and even like samples that they have made before for other people to check their quality. Um, I think that's really important. We are sourcing factories for some accessories and we asked to see samples before we started anything with them. And the actual sample versus their pictures were 150% different. So it's important to kind of see what their workmanship is like. Always get a sample, no matter how small a product may be, whether it's just like a small accessory, doesn't matter. You will waste your money and time and effort if you don't get that sample. And they shouldn't be able to charge you for that, right? It would just be like, no, it's not. Or it depends. Yeah. They will. And, but it's, it's worth it. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not, it won't break the bank. You know, it's, it's part of the cost of making things, but it's so much better to spend $40 for a sample than like thousands of dollars on an order that you get. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is awful. Or, you know, whatever it may be. It's, it's, it's definitely an investment into your, your products. Well, I know the two of you you know, tested the products and were wearing them on the course before launching them. But I'm curious how you also incorporate feedback from customers um, into your actual product development, whether that's new iterations of clothing you already have or future like potential designs. Totally. We, uh, 
we are super lucky. We have an incredible community of bad madres, <laughs> is what we call them. So we will get inbound messages, emails, DMs on current styles, future ideas, tweaks. So we get tons of feedback just, just naturally, which is incredible. And then we also do prompt <laughs> feedback. So um, we ask for reviews on products. And then also we'll post on our social, on our stories. We'll say, hey, here are some colors. What do you like the most? And we get so much feedback through doing that. That's awesome too, because I'm sure the consumers then feel like the clothing you're making is almost tailored to them, right? Because they have input on on the the functionality and the the colors, which I think is really unique. And what I could see how that would lead to a lot of customer loyalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool to feel like, hey, I told you to do like a darker black instead of a softer black or <laughs> for a shirt or something like that. I love the fact that the two of you came together with a background in fashion and finance. It seems kind of like meant to be. So I'm curious how you both aligned on a sales and marketing strategy that worked for your business and what that looks like today. Our bread and butter is selling online on our store. The exception to our D2C is we will partner with pro shops, which are the stores on golf courses that really align with our mission to make sure women are never an afterthought, to get women on the course with confidence. And then in terms of marketing, we just want to work with good people. To work with us and to be a partner, you don't really need to have like a million followers. We'd much rather work with someone that maybe has a smaller following, but is more genuine and cares about the mission. And so it's kind of all about working with good people, working with good people at good factories, working with good people in in marketing and in social. That's our kind of North Star. That's a great philosophy to have. I think it comes across, you know, when brands are doing things just for clout, so to say, or just for, you know, a boost in followers. So it, it is nice when businesses prioritize like genuine partnerships and connections. Exactly. I'm curious what other ways your business is ensuring that women aren't an afterthought in this sport. We kind of have the three C's and their clothes, community and confidence. The clothes, like we want them to empower women and that creates community. We grow that through having events. We'll post blog posts about proper golf etiquette stuff that's just tribal knowledge which is wild to me we're like putting that out there so it's no secret it's community first um, and that's all to drive confidence so it's kind of like clothes plus the community equals the confidence equals the not being an afterthought yeah all tied together and I know that we talked about manufacturing being a big challenge when you were launching the company What other obstacles did you face launching Sierra Madre and how did you overcome them? We have a funny story actually about this. Um, So with our first all square squirt, we had been getting samples in black and we had wanted to make it in this kind of off-white color. And they had finished the fabric and we got the sample and the white was see-through like the skirt portion you could see the inner shorts through the fabric and I thought the fabric was thick enough that we wouldn't have this issue but lo and behold we have this issue so we're like so close to production and we're like oh my god we gotta figure this out this is the final sample before production and I think we had 
four or five prototypes. So we had done our homework. <laughs> yeah. So we, we were scrambling and we actually, I think this is when this phrase of ours was, was born, but it was like, every problem has multiple solutions. We just have to figure out which one is right. And I can't tell you how many times we tell this to each other. And it's so right. It kind of takes like the scariness out of it. So we're like, all right, what are our solutions? And so we, you know, figured out that we could line it with the same fabric as the shorts and it worked perfectly. And actually, I think Bonnie likes it even better than the black oh, yeah. not lined. <laughs> that was the beauty of the story is and actually have a better product that is absolutely not see-through. Yeah, and I love the mindset that you approached it. Like Michelle, you said, every problem has multiple solutions. It's hard to accept that when you're in the moment because you do kind of panic and it's easy to just feel down on yourself. Was that something you all developed as a team or how did you create that problem solving mentality? I think we heard it somewhere, didn't we? I read it in a book. I'm trying to remember what book it was so I can give credit. We didn't think of it, but it like it was for our business. It became like a core, um, I don't know, like company value is just mm-hmm. basically problem solving and you don't, it's not even about finding like the perfect solution. It's just like seeking out or knowing there are multiple solutions and you'll just, you'll make one work. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you'll figure out the best one. I think that is like, sometimes when you encounter a problem, you feel like trapped in that you're just like, I don't know where to go from here. But if you can like, just take a step back and be like, all right, there, there are multiple ways we can go about this. Let's just talk through each of them. Let's brainstorm what they are. And then make the best course of action. It's hard to do when it's like your, when it's your business and you're like, you just feel so much more pressure with it that I I think it's important. And that I know just for myself, like having that mindset has totally changed the way I look at issues. And are both of you full-time with the company now? Full-time. <laughs> but we, until we launched, we both had full-time jobs and Michelle has two children, um, two kids under four, now under four, but at the time, babies and toddlers. And we would meet early on Saturday mornings and we would just text early in the morning and late at night. Was it scary to take the leap to full-time or did you both feel like ready to go? Scary. Scary, but... <laughs> <laughs> You put a lot on the line. I felt confident, but that doesn't mean it wasn't scary. Uh Yeah, that's exactly it. It was, there was no question, at least like for me, you know, sometimes like life just like pushes you in a direction and it's like, all right, this is happening. And it is, it's like, it's scary, but it's exciting. And it's, yeah, I had no doubt. That's Being scared is like a big part of being an entrepreneur. You just kind of figure out and you might have to drive a truck with pallets across the county but you're just gonna do it scared you're gonna figure it out yeah you're gonna figure it out that's like all about being an entrepreneur what we found you just do everything and you just go oh, we're just gonna figure it out it'll be yeah fun. just fight through the fear yeah exactly. exactly keep going I was curious if you could speak more to where you draw inspiration from to create collections that are modern and wearable, but still kind of have like a unique nostalgic feel to them. One of our things we like to say is like, we just, we want it to be effortlessly cool. I love taking like, what is the requirements for golf? And then how can I push those limits? Not like your typical preppy golf look. 
Mm -hmm. something we haven't talked talked into too much is that golf has rules oh my gosh not just in play but what you wear we do try to we try to stick to the rules but we try to push them it's almost like we're pushing them out of their comfort zone into this new era of like hey women play golf and we need the clothes to be functional and not look so dorky or matronly that's great and I it reminds me what you just said of this quote I just heard on a podcast which I can't even remember but something about how like wise people understand the rules so that so that they know which ones they can break (laughs) so it's kind of like okay we know what we're allowed to do but how can we kind of tweak just just enough so we're we're still not ruffling any feathers but bringing something new and fresh to the industry I love that saying and it's it's funny I think we definitely we're not afraid to ruffle some feathers we just don't want to pluck any feathers you don't want to get anybody in trouble (laughs) or we're going to do it slowly what are some of the rules that people would be surprised to know about if they're not in the golf world I will say 99.9% of courses are actually pretty open to women's newer women's golf apparel but some of those old rules are like a certain length of a skirt like just above the knee which is pretty long there's a lot about collars. So luckily a mock neck counts as a collar. Again, 99.9, there's going to be these like one-off courses that are super old or traditional and will require women to wear a polo. Um, having to wear sleeves as a woman is big. Those are the ones that come to top the top of my mind. Are there any stories or moments from your journey that have been particularly impactful or made you feel proud of the business that you've created together oh yeah (laughs) I think there's been tons and I I we should keep like a diary because these feel these moments feel so fresh like when they're happening or for that week and then we just we're just always on to the next thing but um some that stand out to me are uh like packing our first set of orders and we didn't have any paid advertising until like several months after we launched just that organic support that we had we had a phenomenal launch I'll never forget trying to pack all the orders we got that day before the post office closed at 5 p.m and it just being a mad dash and it was hot even though it was September (laughs) Um, so that's one that that stands out to me yeah it's kind of like all the firsts there's so many firsts of like our the first production order that came in I remember Bonnie sent me a picture of like all the boxes and and it's just like the first photo shoot was so exciting and it's just it's like all those firsts are just there's a million of them but they're all like little like victories and I mean there's like a lot of the firsts which were like scary first but um (laughs) but it's it's just been like such an adventure the whole thing a lot of growth it seems in a short amount of time, which is is nice to see that momentum build, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious what shipping looks like today. Like, do you all have a warehouse or do you use 3PL? Like, what is that set up for you right now? Yeah, so we um, just grew out of our first warehouse, which was <laughs> tiny and windowless and hot. <laughs> <laughs> and we're getting ready to move into a new warehouse. It's a bigger space. We keep these things in-house. And that's maybe a word of advice or just something that we found in our own way works for us is we like having control over our process. 
we like being really close to our customers so that when they say, hey, can you add a golf towel? Like we slack with our fulfillment employees and we just get it taken care of. And so having that control and just kind of eye on everything is important to us. So we choose to keep it in-house, but mm -hmm. if there's any, you know, soon to be startup <laughs> folks listening, there are tons of great options for small business 3PL. And you mentioned having fulfillment employees. What does your overall team look like today? Like, do you have full-time contractors, part-time? And how yeah. do you envision that going in the future? So we have a mix of everything, which I think is is nice when you are a new company and you're scrappy, which we're both scrappy people. You have to figure out what works best for you. And we found a certain roles, like a part-time person is great. And that's other functions, maybe outsourcing to an agency that has more experience and more bandwidth, maybe that's the way to go. So we found a good mix of employee, whether it's part-time or full-time versus contractor that works for us. Do you have any exciting upcoming projects or goals for Sierra Madre that listeners can look forward to? Yes. So... We are just continuing to expand our collection. So coming out with new collections, more styles per collection, and a big focus for us is making our size range more inclusive. A big part of the community is educating. And so we want to continue to educate on golf etiquette and just breaking down the barriers to entry. It's really like these barriers of intimidation that I think golf just puts up thicker and taller than any other sport and so we're just trying to figure out ways to climb over those and knock them down i love it that all sounds really exciting thank you we're, we're pretty we're pretty pumped about it i know that was like pretty vague but we have specifics that <laughs> will start to roll out end of this year uh and then certainly next year as well for sure and people can stay tuned to social to to find out more about that right yes yeah we um we're on all the social things. Um, usually our handle is Sierra Madre Golf. Perfect. So I have a few rapid fire fun questions before <laughs> we wrap up the episode that I thought would be interesting. So if you could play a round of golf with any historical figure or celebrity, anybody, who would it be and why? Mine would be Audrey Hepburn. I was really surprised. I didn't know that she played golf. You know, as I'm looking at my retro inspiration, like a lot of her pictures came up and she's such a style icon. So of course, like I was thrilled to see that she's also a big golfer and she was a good golfer too. And so to be able to play with her and just pick her brain and talk to her it would be awesome. I love that. I had no idea. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Gosh, Michelle, I feel like you took. <laughs> I, would, I would also, I'd love to play golf with her. <laughs> Just a just graceful in every way, every stage of life. She just had purpose. We love Audrey Hepburn. Maybe uh, you all can create um like a piece named after her, like an Audrey that's dress. A idea. That's a great right? I love that. I, <laughs> I think that, that would be super we do. cute. When we, when we make when we're like trying on samples or something, we're like, oh my god, it's got such a Audrey Hepburn like esque so to it. Oh, so we'll definitely have to do that. Um, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> I th I think if I had to if I had to pick someone that wasn't Audrey Hepburn, um, 
uh, Althea Gibson would be who I'd want to play golf with. She was an incredible athlete, had just a record-breaking um, tennis career. And then after that, became the first um, Black woman to play on the LPGA in wow. the 60s. Just incredible inspiration. Um, and so, yeah, she would she would be pretty incredible to play golf with. That's amazing. So many... Um like athletes in the like women's golf world they're so you know underrated or not known about just because there's not so much visibility so I love that you said that and people can go and learn more about her because that sounds like a great story yeah look her up y'all she's incredible (laughs) okay next question what is your go-to post golf snack or drink that you always look forward to Mine's hot dogs. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. Gonna turn hot dogs. She's love. I love it. a good hot dog. No judgment. I love a good hot dog. Right? They're actually. It makes no sense, but hot dogs are a thing in golf, which is probably like the least country clubby food that you would like think of. But yeah, turn dogs. <laughs> um, that's what I'm there for, kind of. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and mine. So Austin has really like gotten a hold of me, but I love a breakfast taco after I play. Those are two like classic foods you can never go wrong with. So, well, thank you both so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure learning more about your business. And I like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide a few words of wisdom. So what is your number one biggest piece of advice for founders and entrepreneurs? feels like the odds are stacked against you sometimes when you're a founder and just know that they never are. You're going to be okay. You're going to find your way. Many solutions. You just got to pick one. I think mine is get comfortable with being uncomfortable because there are so many aspects, so many roles you have to take on that you are just don't have any experience in and you just have to like go for it and do it and just learn from whatever mistakes you make. And then also, you know, with being a founder, you kind of have to be really sociable and outgoing. And if that's not who you are, you kind of have to just like fake it. Yeah. <laughs> fake it do it, do it, it, do it scared. <laughs> do it yeah. scared. Yeah. And you just gotta just go for it. Yeah, I think both of you really embody the growth mindset, which if listeners aren't familiar, fixed mindset is where you're, you know, opposed to change, not super willing to adapt. Um, And I think everything you all just said kind of sums up what it is to have a growth mindset, which is kind of just adapting as you go, not being afraid to fail, learning through trial and error. And so I think that all is really beneficial to anyone listening who wants to succeed as an entrepreneur. I love that. Thank you for saying that's what we embody. (laughs) I hope so. Such a compliment. (laughs) Right. Well, thank you again for joining me on Office Chats. Can you please let everyone know where they can keep up with you and Sierra Madre online and on social media? Yes, uh, you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Sierra Madre Golf. And then our website is sierramadregolf.com. Thank you to Bonnie and Michelle for joining me and thank you to everyone listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. And I hope you join us next week for a new episode of Office Chats.